This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to episode 11 of the One Was Had A Dream podcast. My name is Lee Finch and as always I'm joined by Robert Boyce. How are you doing Boyce? Are you alright? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, and tonight's special guests are Richard Cassells, aka Titch, and also Mark Lewis, aka Tall Mark. How you doing, boys? You all right? Good boys. All right. All good. Evening. Something better after a win on Saturday. Uh, yeah, always better after Absolutely. a win. Absolutely. Right. So we're going to start with uh, Oxford on Tuesday night. Mark Robinson's first game. How do we? How do we think that went, Boise? To be fair, I wasn't really expecting much from it. You know, quarterfinal of the Papadons Pizza Trophy and looking at the lineup, you know, that, that back four of Archie Proctor, Luca Neal playing centre back, Che Alexandra and Paul um, you know, they haven't played together before. But I think there was, you know, a few positives to take from it. You know, we, we tried a different formation. Um, obviously, uh, Mark Gumson got to see a few things or test a few things out, which. Maybe you took into Saturday where, you know, obviously we have a valuable three points. Yeah, um, I'm pretty much like you, Lee. I hate the term of free hit, but uh, I think Mark Robinson used it as a game to sort of suss out what he needed to know. Um, he sort of used it to suss out what formation he wanted to play, certain players he can sort of play where he wanted. And he found out a lot, I think, about the players and the squad in general. And for me... The younger kids that were involved in that game showed themselves in a better light than the the senior pros in inverted commas. Um, I know he's had a few choice words to say about them. I know a lot of other fans had a few choice words to say about them, but he definitely sussed out a lot more than he would have hoped for as a result of that game. So, yeah, it was uh, an interesting one. Going, going on from Richard's point, I like the fact Mark took the armband away from uh, Piggott. I like the fact that, you know, he said he wants some noise to come from behind the ball. Um, obviously, and then obviously uh, post-match, he sung Archie Proctor's praises because he didn't stop talking and, you know, highlighted or addressed a few issues that the quad, squad is quite quiet. And obviously there was a reference to Rocket the Kitman, you know, and I think it was a really good post-interview. I think the post-interview was better than the match itself, to be honest with you. What do you reckon, Mark? How do you, how do you think you went? Yeah, I, I gotta say, boys, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything um, you all said so far. I actually got a, a free code thing from Papa uh, John's to watch the game. 
because I wasn't really looking to do it, well, looking to watch it. I wasn't. I think everyone was feeling a bit bruised after what happened after the franchise game and, and the beginning and so on. So I wasn't intending to, and I thought, you know what, I'll just will anyway because it's free. Um, and then you watch the first 20 or so, and, and the way the first goal went in, you think, no, this is only going one way. And this is Oxford. Um, and let's face it, apart from that one game, Oxford is always a bit of a bogey team for us. But I like the fact that he put the kids on, even though there was we were on a hiding to nothing. You know, I mean, we all know that Peggers need to rest. He probably needs rest completely, but we can't. We've got no one else right now. We haven't got Palmer, obviously. But he he put on different types of players and had a different type of formation. And let's face it, none of those um, people totally totally um, embarrass themselves. The youngsters, I mean. Yeah, I'm a bit like yourself, Mark. I weren't too interested in it. I think if Glynn had been in charge, I don't think I would have watched the game at all. Uh, but I think with Robbo being in charge and, and, and his formation and the, the players he had, uh, I don't think it helped that he had a lot of injuries. Uh, Will, obviously, was unavailable due to his uh, his wife giving birth. Has she gave birth? I think she had a, they have a daughter. So, yeah, yeah, so congratulations to Will Nightingale on the birth of his daughter. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's unlucky for Mark. He, he, he's missed in some... Big, big players, uh, and I'm glad that he threw in some of the kids. I'm, I'm glad. I think Curry had a great game at left back, and, and it shows that he will do it. He's not going to be scared to to put in kids or 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 say how is his his interview after was so refreshing, and I think that's what Wimbledon fans have been wanting for ages. Something refreshing, not not just going to lie or, or just pander to the fans or or to the or to the uh, the team that do the interviews. I thought that was quite good. Yeah, I agree with you, Lee. I think um, I think Robert, Robert just had it as a free hit. I mean, DJ and Dobson, who are our two better players on the weekend, obviously couldn't play because they were cup-tied. You know, Will was missing injuries. So, you know, it, it was a free hit with him to experiment. I would have actually liked him to have given Piggott and Longman a rest. I mean, Longman has looked knackered these last few weeks and, you know, Piggott's been down with a bit of an injury. And I, I feel like maybe he should have thrown in 50-goal a season, Zach Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> and giving him a run out, but um, but yeah, apart from that, like I said, I was happy happy with it. You know, as a, as a free hit, and the the problem you got with that, I think, is that you have to play five or six of the players that started the game previously. There's something so, like that, yeah. So with our injury list already, I think he had no choice other than to throw in Pig and Longman because otherwise we wouldn't have filled that quota and then we'd have been getting fined, which is ridiculous. But unfortunately, the laws are there, and, and we don't want to be losing money when we haven't really got any. Yeah. Um, go on, boys. Go on. I was just going to say, it was, it was a strange sort of game. So, obviously, you lose 3-0. We, we know it more than anyone. Your immediate reaction is you're down, you're upset, you go to bed a bit annoyed about a 3-0 defeat. But then you wait and, as you've alluded to, that email, uh, that email, that interview comes out. And I don't know about you, boys, but it sent me to bed happy. And I was encouraged by it. And I really wanted it to be Saturday for the next game. And that was testament to Mark Robinson. And he sort of addressed a lot of things that needed to be addressed. And one of the, the main things, Lee, we spoke about before, standards at the club. And that's been not just a Glenn Hodges problem. It's been a little bit of a Wally problem and even a little bit of an Ardley problem towards the back end of his tenure. So mm, I thought it was brilliant that he just straight away addressed that in his first in post-match interview and then has had the, the positive reaction it has. And we'll go on to that later. It feels like he's treated the interviews almost like a like a job interview. That's how it's come across to me. Um, but yeah, I think I think the interview is really refreshing. It's something we've moaned about on the podcast before, how things become quite stagnant. 
you know, listening to Glenn, you could listen to any of his interviews and same with Ardy to, to an extent, you know, it was always stats or you could kind of predict what they were going to say. So, yeah, I agree with you, Rich. It was, it was really refreshing to listen to that interview. And, um, yeah, I've, so far I've enjoyed Mark Robinson's time with us. And, uh, yeah, Bob, I did another interview last night. And, and, again, it was fresh. It was different stuff. It was worth listening to. Um, he sounds energised. And if he sounds energised, everyone else sounds energised. I mean, taking it right back to Wally, you, you've seen interviews where, that Wally did where his body language said, I really don't want to do this interview. I really can't be bothered. But I'm doing yeah. it because I'm obliged to do it because I'm the manager of the club and I get paid. You know, And that's just not big or clever. All of us know that this season is weird and we've talked about it, you guys talked about it in the pod before. Because of all that, as much energy as you can put into any pre-match and post-match stuff uh, is, is all, the, all the better. And, and so far, so good on the, on the roller front. Yeah, and I agree with that completely. And a lot of people say, oh, anyone can talk and everything, but can they? Like we've had, how many years have we had interviews after where we wait for them for too long because of the club comms? And then when they come out, we'd rather they hadn't come out at all because it was just the same old nonsense, the Glyn bingo or uh, cliches that just come out. It was refreshing. It was it was honest. It was saying what needs to be said. And it was bang on for me. And it really made me excited about the next match. See, what I love about Mark Robinson is like listening to his interviews is like, you want to go work for him. You want to go do something for him. You want to put your name in a hat. And I think hopefully that will come across with the players. The players will, like the youth team players, will run through a bit walls from Mark Robinson, even the ones that have been released, maybe through injury or they've just not been good enough. But every single player I've seen has always had good words to say about Mark Robinson. And I think that's what is brilliant for us, is that we need that character. And I think, Titch, you touched on it on our WhatsApp group. It's not about the crazy gang days anymore. We can't replicate that, unfortunately. You know what I mean? It was brilliant. But he gets the AFC Wimbledon story. He gets what we're about now as AFC Wimbledon. And he's trying to make our own story and his own story, which is a new kind of crazy game, if you, if you will. Like it's, it's never going to be the same, but he knows that AFC Wimbledon is unique. And that's the story that everyone needs to know. Every player that comes, you're joining. As he said in his interview, he's joining the best story, football story in the world. One thing I would say, Lee, before we move to the Wigan game, is, you know, when we played Oxford, I think they hadn't, I think they hadn't lost in the last 11 there was a makeshift back line, so he had, to, you know, to a certain degree, he had his one hand tied behind his back. And, you know, we did hit, I think we did hit the post a couple of times, from what I recall, or skimmed the post. You know, it wasn't like uh, 3 1 didn't really fully reflect the scoreline, it felt, um, from what I remember. Choosing seems a long, long time ago after after Saturday, even once of you. The, uh, the other really nice, quick, nice thing about, about the end of the Oxford game is. He actually showed, which we then went on to, to, to use in really good effect, you can play Chisler and Rudy in the same team to an attacking, uh, make an attacking impact. So, yeah, that's why we ended up losing, well, not, that's not why we ended up losing 3-1, but he, he left Chisler on, Chisler nicked one at the end. We had a few chances, as Rob says. So, uh, yeah, that, if, if that in its own way was a little catalyst to the different formation, they seem to try at Wigan, and hopefully we can carry on that different formation with three behind the pig then uh, yeah I'm all for that yeah no I think that's a good thing about Oxford is they were on fire we didn't expect much to go there so it wasn't the end of the world that we got beat 3-0 and out of a, a crap cup uh, moving on to the Wigan game it was what I found refreshing about the Wigan game was the effort you know I said after the uh, scum game that we didn't see much effort there wasn't 
any fight at all in our boys. But from minute one, you could just see it. I'd like to have seen earlier subs because a couple of our players did look tired. But from minute one, it was literally everyone was fighting for that ball, like the third goal. That's a great play from Rudy to make sure that he gets to that ball and then chisel it to get on to get the penalty. Yeah, and I, I don't think we scored that goal last week or in the in any part of this season. I was saying to you earlier, it's it's that desire, Rudy chasing a lost ball. That ball's gone. That's going out for a goal kick. And last week, the player, Rudy probably just looks at that. Not a, not negative on Rudy, but all the players just look at that and go, oh, I'll let that go. Same with Chislett. And the both of them going for that lost cause and showing the desire gets us the penalty and gets us back into a winning position. So definitely a much, much better performance on Saturday. I think Larry Zoodley is, uh, with Mark Robinson, you feel inspired, don't you, when you listen to him? Like, you know, like you said, the players probably do feel like they want to run for a quick wall and, you know, with Rudy, you know, creating that chance and just, just, just nicking in front and winning that penalty, like, like Rich says, maybe maybe that doesn't happen last week under Glenn. Picking a, a couple of things out of um, Robinson's interviews, he's talked about playing a possession-based game and he's also talked about engaging the players and the players themselves telling him that they want to play a possession-based game. They haven't played a possession-based game all season. But actually, if this formation is going to enable the likes of Rudy that will dribble, the likes of Chislett that will dribble on the ball and actually give Longman some, some freedom to do that as well, then so much the better. That's going to get us going forward. That's going to press teams back and we're being not so passive. And that's hopefully going to create that many more chances. And, Exactly, is evidence of that even against a poor Wigan team? Good stop. I totally agree with that. With the formation, it helps that we have two defensive midfielders in front of our back four, which helps them. But then also, it helps us going forward with Chislett and Rodoni then being able to do what they want. And I also like Longman playing off the wing or playing in attacking midfielder role or or winger role, where he then could run at people. You see it a couple times where he picked up the ball, and his his first his first thought was to go forward. He wanted to go back. He wanted to go sideways. It was to go forward. I'm not sure Piggott's going to be a Mark Robinson kind of striker because he doesn't like to do the running and the dirty play. Uh, and maybe we might need to get someone up with him, which hopefully we've just signed. But yeah, I, I did like that, that that formation. I thought it worked well against Wigan. What I wonder, though, is is um, obviously at the moment we've got no one else but Pig to play that one. But actually, uh, thinking about Longman, that it, as far as I know, that is actually what Longman's role is. He never yeah. was a centre forward. He never was a striker. But as usual, like we did with Felivi and a few other players in the past, we couldn't get someone who was actually a forward. We mm. bought someone who's a winger. Even the lad we bought today, that's just been playing in Holland, from what I can understand, he's not an out-and-out striker. But if we're going to play with this three behind the one lone strike man, that's not a bad person to bring on in a kind of Aziz-type way. Yeah, what I liked about having Chislett, Longman, Rudy and Pegg on the pitch is they, they hunted up in a pack, you know, from the from the first minute, you know, especially that first half now were very good, very much on the front foot. And I think having all that all that energy, you know, the average age between them not must be only, be only about twenty years old. Um, you know, so it was a good it was a good half an hour, thirty-five minutes. Um, if Chislett puts that chance away, it's very unlucky with, you know, we go three 0 up and see the game out, unfortunately. The only downside we've had this week with the Oxford game and the Wigan game is Walker making two errors, in my opinion. Yeah, going back to what you just said, Mark, with regards to the signing we've just made, Shayon uh, Williams coming in from uh, Dutch second division team, Almir. Uh, I, he, he looks pace. What I've seen from his videos and stuff, he looks pacey. 
He's got very quick feet, very skillful. I think that's something that we're really missing up front as well. None of our strikers are that skillful. They're going to take a couple of touches, beat their man and put it in the corner. Longman has pace, but I don't think he has much skill. Uh, and sorry, Shayon Harrison, not Williams. Shayon Harrison, sorry. Uh, yeah, I just think he's going to, I've hopefully he's come with a bit of pedigree as well, coming from Spurs, played 13 times in League One for Southend. And now we've got that on the bench, especially with the other kid from Kays as well. I think you're bang on. I think we, you looked at our team on paper and we were missing that that spark, someone who could do something. We've seen one or two videos of this kid and it looks like he does have that in his locker. Like you said about Longman, Longman will run all day for you and that's brilliant, but he won't show you that bit of magic probably. He'll be there right place, right time. He'll work his socks off, but hopefully this kid will do a little bit less running off the ball and then on the ball he'll be able to show a bit more magic than, uh, than Longman might be. So it's good signs, definitely. The, the other interesting thing, of course, is if we've got this three in attacking midfield, how much running are they going to have to do off the ball? How much defending are they going to have to do? Someone commented that Longman was really good defensively, um, which obviously isn't what he's in the team for. But if you've only got two defensive midfield players, I mean, a lot of the time, I thought Nesta was getting a lot of flat at the last few games, and some of it he deserved, but some of it was actually he was just being overloaded. You know, if you get Oxford pushing a right winger and a decent right backup, and then say, oh, look, Nestor hasn't gone there. Well, if he's got no defensive cover with him, what do you expect? I think you're bang on there. And I think that's that's something that I noticed at the game where you're picking out clear differences from last week to this week. From the outset, it's quite hard to see on iFollow, but you saw a bit of a 4 3 3 there. But it looked quite fluid out of possession. It looked like Longman was tracking back. And that's something we've missed massively. We've set out with a 5 3 2 or whatever it has been from the start. And that's it. We'll stick with that all game and we'll get overload and there won't be a change where Robinson's shown he can be quite reactive. Um, I thought he was more reactive with his subs on Tuesday against Oxford than he was against Wigan. Like you said, I think he could have maybe made one or, one or two subs earlier. But in terms of formations, going forward to going uh, defensively, there, were, there was a fluid formation there and we were trying to get the ball back as quickly as possible to then be on the ball to then affect it that way. So definitely positive. Yeah, and adding in this Shayon guy, I think also that gives us that where he has got pace to get back and defend as well. He's got us to go out quick as well. If he gets the ball, we could be turning and gone and then we're starting an attack. Also, what we were talking about earlier, Titch, as well, is that Palmer, if we can get Palmer back fit now, he can replace Pig. And then you've got Williams and uh, Andrews, who both got... What am I saying? Harrison. Williams. Yeah, so I keep saying Williams, man. But Harrison, that's it. Harrison. Right. If we can get Harrison and this... Uh, what's his name, Andrews, mm. both got pace next to Palmer. He's holding balls up, he's winning balls. Even if you don't have him and you have Palmer on his own and you're getting Rudy and Chislet near him, then that way you 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 are, we are getting out of defence quite quickly. I think you make a good point there, Lee, with regards to getting Corey Andrews fit, Shea and Harrison fit and Palmer fit because we, could, we didn't really have any attacking subs on the bench on the weekend. So... When Rudy and Longman were both, you know, knackered, we had to bring in Che Alessandra and Paul Rossu. And, you know, ideally you want to bring on a you want to bring on a Harrison or Andrews to really stretch our team in the, you know, stretch of a gun in the last 15, 20 minutes. And, you know, I think at the start of the start of the recording, you you kind of moaned that uh Mark Robinson's subs came a bit late, but I think we were quite limited on on the bench. I mean, we even had Ayo Basan on the bench, for example. Um, you know, no no attack. There's no Zach Robinson on the bench. So um, I think getting a sign-in through the door, a fit striker, uh, might really help moving forward. No, I agree. And they're really good boys. So 
Good point. So let's wrap that up and we'll move on. And next we're going to have a very good discussion regarding fan ownership. Is it the only way we can go or should we be looking for outside investment? So when we come back, we'll discuss that next. Back, we're going to be now discussing fan ownership. Is it the only way that Wimbledon should go? Or have we reached our glass ceiling? And should we be looking at getting outside investment, especially when we've got someone like Robertson who owns ASOS in church, uh, who, sorry, invested money previously? Should we be looking at getting him to uh, buy more shares and invest more money? So who wants to start me off on this? Should we go with you, Mark? Can do if we like. Um, I don't think, unfortunately, Robinson does own ASOS anymore. I think he's actually bought his way out or whatever, which is probably why he's got the money to invest in us. But there we go. Um, I think there's loads of things we can do with Nick Robinson um, and certainly tap into his commercial um, expertise, which hopefully stuff that Don Trost, the new Don Trost board are going to be able to do. Um, and then they've got some strategy groups, which all of us uh, and anyone listening can obviously participate in. Um, from my perspective, you know, in, to simply answer the question, I believe that fan ownership is the way forward. I believe that's what's got us here. That's what has, what has got us to this point. Um, obviously, we had, uh, as, a, as a Don's Trust, an idea where we want to get to, we want to get back to Merton, we want to build a stadium, we want to do all that. We know that the, the hiccups have come along that way. They didn't come along that way because of fan ownership. They come along that way because of the situations. Really. Um, I think with what the fans can do and what the fans have proved they can do as fans, then that has got us a hell of a long way. I don't think we necessarily have our feeling. Um, and uh, there's a long, lot more we can still achieve in the current ownership model. No, I, I agree with what you're saying there regarding the fact fans have taken us a hell of a way. And like without the fans, yeah, we it's a, it's a cliche saying, but without fans, we would be nowhere near where we are. But how, how, how many months or how long can we go keep putting out the begging bowl? How, how, how much money do fans have in their pockets to keep going? Yes, here are women, here are women, especially during a, a COVID situation as well now where people are, money's tight and people are uh, struggling a little bit more with money. Financially, it's a struggle for businesses as well as people who, who would put money in sponsorship wise. How, 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 how much more do we have to say, can you keep putting money in? And have we, as I said, have we reached our glass ceiling with regards to League One? We're always at the bottom of League One and everyone blames our budget. This is one of my big concerns, Lee, with regards to fan ownership, is I can see another round of the begging bowl coming out. And because we've got around about £10 million of a debt, when you include the bonds and you include the bridging loan and the interest to pay back on that. And there's so many question marks for me. For example, we've just built a stadium, but we've just re-signed all the same sponsors and apparently on the, around about the same money or less than we had at Kings Meadow. And I do question, will, will Plough Lane be a sellout every single week? I think initially it will be, especially after COVID, when, you know, us fans haven't been in there for so long and the away fans want to come visit it for the first time. But, you know, Plough Lane and Kings Meadow didn't really hold big attendances. And Kings Meadow was never a sellout. Most weeks, albeit it was poor views. But Wimbledon's never had the biggest fan base. Do you, I mean, I just can't see us selling out 9,000 tickets every year. We haven't sold, sold the naming rights of the stadium. Um, we don't know what's going on with Broncos. And I just I just fear that further down the line, we're going to be asked to, to pay back these loans into some sort of Cedars-type funds. And it just frustrates me. 
Um, I do think we've done remarkable to get back to League One. You know, we've gone from non-league to League One in a space of, you know, about 14, 15 years off the top of my head. And it's been remarkable what the fans have achieved. But when you look at all the other, all the other clubs around us, Exeter, Portsmouth, Wickham, who are all fan-owned, they've all decided to set up. And, you know, you look at Portsmouth signing £2 million Marquez, now going up the league, Wickham, now in the Championship. It frustrates me for every year we're at the bottom. And we keep sacking our manager, you know, Ardley, Wally Downs, Glynn. But... I think, you know, just talk of the Cowleys, talk of Mark Robinson, I think whoever comes in, you know, you look at our two recent signings from Kays and the Dutch Division 2, Met Police in the summer, I think we're just going to struggle. No, again, I get your point, and I'm going to flip it around. With regards to sponsorship and stuff, we obviously don't know the ins and outs of that, but is it maybe we're being loyal? We're being loyal to the sponsors that have stuck by us through the Kings Meadow times and through when we started AFC Wimbledon and said, look, we're going back to Plough Lane. Maybe we're going to give them a year to, to sponsor it at Plough Lane. Then we might have to up our fees and say, look, this is how much the sponsorship's going to cost. One big thing we have now got with Plough Lane that we didn't have at Kings Meadow is hospitality. We have the suites that can be used throughout the whole year, not just during the football season. Uh, or even with Kings Meadow, they could have been rented out. I had my wedding at Kings Meadow, but it's small, it's tiny. Now we have a massive function suite. We have the boxes that can be used for meetings, for offer. That's going to generate income as well. Uh, and I can see I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides regarding fan ownership and investment because I never want to be in that position again where someone says to me, you don't have a club. Uh, and, and that killed a lot of fans. So we spoke to Freddie Flaxman the other day and, and he really wants to get involved. But I said to him, I never knew him before. And I'm wary of someone coming in and going, I want to give money because you're such a good story. You're a good, I love Wimbledon. It's such a good story. I heard all that before. And now I'm just wary of anyone coming in and going, here's a million pounds. Good luck. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's such a tough debate, really. And it's sort of been heightened a bit by COVID. Pre-COVID, there was no, I mean, obviously the fans invested um, through various sources but there was no begging bowl as such there was no non non-refundable season tickets and debentures and it has to be said i think not enough is said how much of a strain that puts on fans because fans are going through covid as well the football club's going through covid but it is still running it's still managing to fill fixtures each week and the fans have taken a strain of it and it doesn't look like football will be back this season so it, it is a tough debate to have but also lee i agree with you I don't want to be in a situation where we lose total control of our club. And if there is a way to find a balance, which I think we've touched upon with uh, Mr. Robertson and a little bit with John Green, if there's a way to find a balance whilst we're gaining our control, then that for me is the route I want to take. I want the fan ownership to stay. If the comms around the fan ownership can improve, I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit later in terms of what we see as a fan ownership with the slight investment. I think that's definitely the route we should carry on going down without getting into those really technical things i think if i've understood things correctly that even with 75 percent Dawn's trust ownership of the whole club we can still invite investment so yeah. i think we could still actually get as much investment as we've got from nick robinson either from him again or from someone else without actually diluting anything whatsoever so i mean voice is quite right that there obviously are concerns about repaying anything the comms in the football club full stop are poor, more than poor. The latest example being the, the website thing in the last half an hour or so um, earlier this week with regards to the uh, the book, which is just ludicrous, frankly. It's clickbait, frankly, and it's 
whoever did it should be sh taken outside and shot. Um, <laughs> however, sorry, I'm, I'm, are you, are you, are you sorry, Mike, are you talking about the uh, Joe Piggott signs? Yeah, Joe Piggott signs books in October. I yeah, know so that I just wanted. What I can tell you is actually, is, and unfortunately, um, I was made redundant in October time, so I spent a bit in November and December helping out voluntarily in the club shop in Centre Court. And that actually gives me some reassurance because Wimbledon, I grew up in Wimbledon a long time ago, 70s and 80s, and Wimbledon now is much, a much different place. There are a lot of very well-heeled people. Those people, by and large, if they've moved into Wimbledon the last 15 years, last five years, they've got a lot of cash to even afford to live there. If they've got a lot of cash, they'll take little Johnny, little Lee, little Richard, little Robert, little Mark, and they'll pay you know, whatever for the shirts, they'll pay whatever for the kits, they'll get their companies involved as well. And that um, is, a, is a, a, I have no idea how big that pot is, but that's a massively new pot that we've never tapped into at all. So if we can get into that and the stadium itself, which is a totally different issue, the stadium is a massive asset, which we can't do much about right now, because obviously of COVID and the situation, but once we can do that, and, and there's, again, there's a working group going on about that, which I'm on, so I'm happy to, to get anyone's contributions, anyone's suggestions about that one. But yeah, tap into that particular stadium, make that an event venue, link with local authorities, Southfield, Southfield's College and St George's Hospital, for example. Then you've got a, a revenue stream, which as, as Lee said before, we didn't have a King's Mellon. I think we are at a crossroads as a club with regards to fan ownership and investment. And um, I think what, Concerns me or what worries me is, you know, we had Darren McAnthony approach us in 2006 and we let him go um, because, you know, we prior to that, we kind of got our fingers burnt with, you know, the franchise moving up north. Um, and what worries me now is we've got Nick Robertson and we've got Freddie Flatsman who both want to get involved in the club. But I wonder at what point do they get bored and walk away? Because let's be realistic, if they want to invest in a club, you know, they're going to want some sort of say or some sort of percentage in it. I think everyone's dream is to remain fan-owned, but somehow have a Dower McAnthony or a businessman running it would be like the ideal situation from Mark shaking his head at me, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I think some people would like that rather than being fan-owned and slash fan-run. Um, you know, have a businessman who at the top um, is my understanding from other fans looking on Facebook, my... Probably what I would like as well, myself personally, you know, listen to Dow on his podcast, I think he's a class act, but I just can't see the two going hand in hand, personally. Yeah, I just want to go through a few points. Like I, What you said there, Boise, I think is fantasy land. The pe people got to realise that no one's going to come in, uh, I'm not going to buy a house for, say, 200 grand and then just go to some poor people go, yeah, that's a house you can come live in now and don't pay any bills or rent. Uh, with Dara McAnthony, uh, hindsight's a great thing. And if we had known a bit more about Dara than we do now, I think people would probably say, okay, he's not, he's a bit of a character, but he, he, he has done some very good things with Peter. But at that time, I think it was totally wrong. Uh, and we, that I'm glad we didn't vote for it. I, we, well, we didn't get a vote, but I'm glad we did turn it down because I think at the time, no one again knew who Darren McCann was. I know someone who brought him onto the scene is well trusted. And I think he's on the board now. I think it's Xavier Wiggins brought him on. But at that time, we didn't know who Darren McCanty was. He could have just been a flash in a pan. He was promising all these things. And we were, it was a bit too early for us. Going back to your point, though, Mark, about the local area. And I used to live in Wimbledon as well. And, yeah, it's literally, yeah, I couldn't afford to live in Wimbledon. And uh, people that live in Wimbledon now are very 
affluent and have got a lot of money. But Chelsea and Fulham are on our doorstep as well. Fulham are just building a brand new, uh, brand, brand new stand. And little Johnny and little Rupert, they love a little bit of avocado in in Fulham's ground, don't they, Titch? You... Hey. <laughs> yeah. But but on your point there, and I, I, I always I'm always interested which league Fulham are in. In the Premier League, you have a point, and people will go to Fulham because of they'll go sort of out of their area. So Wimbledon boys will go to Fulham to see the Premier League players, but I think it's a different ball game if Fulham are in the Championship. And yeah, Wimbledon might be in League One, but it's on their doorstep. These are Wimbledon boys looking for a local game to go to on a Saturday. I, I coach in the area of Wimbledon and all the boys, they're looking forward to Plough Lane. They can't wait to go. They can't wait to get season tickets because they don't go to games. So they're looking forward to going to Wimbledon. But if Fulham are in the Premier League, they probably would go to see Pogba, to see Aguero, to see whoever from the Premier League. So... Fulham looking like they're going down into the championship next season. A lot will have to change if they don't if they don't uh, do survive relegation. But that could be massive for us getting back fans back into the stadium next year. You've got Fulham in the championship, and then we can get a lot more people from Wimbledon giving money to the club. Yeah, I agree 100 percent with that one, Teach. Um, I spent all those years at Celeste, as I'm sure a lot of you guys did as well, and. That was exactly where, where Wimbledon was when we were at Celeste. There were people who were Man U fans, Liverpool fans, Arsenal fans, who would buy a Wimbledon season ticket who had no interest in Wimbledon whatsoever. Mm. And then once we were relegated in 2000-2001, then our, our attendance suddenly dropped from like 15, 16,000 average to about 8,000 or so, because they weren't interested in watching Birmingham or Preston or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think Fulham are really in that yo-yo period, yo-yo situation, as Palace were a few years ago, where they'll be up and down between... Premier League, um, they've got some money to be able to do that. Uh, every time they come into the Premier League, they seem to change their team uh, wholesale anyway, which is why they don't necessarily have any particular continuity. But yeah, I'm, I'm confident that being on the doorstep of Earlsfield, which has also changed, you know, Wimbledon, Earlsfield, that surrounding area. I mean, I live down, I, I, now I live down the road from where Fulham training ground is, but you know, Fulham don't have the identity, even though they have the local football and community things, so, so to speak. But people don't necessarily identify with the latest import from a French club or an African club or whatever, which is what Fulham had. But they will identify with the fact that, you know, Anthony Hartigan's from Chessington and uh, Jack Rodani lives in the team, for example. Another thing that, I, that again, I mentioned on Facebook the other day with regards to fan ownership, is, is it more that we're not fan ownership, we're just a fan click now? So, like, unfortunately, Mike, you said there that you, during COVID you, you've been made redundant and, and there's many people like yourself. Why are we not tapping into people that could could do a good job or could put their services to the club that could do jobs? But it seems like some people are just so scared of giving up a little bit of power because it's their way of getting into the stadium on a match day or at the moment, not many people are. So if they give up, they, 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 won't, they won't be able to go then to Plough Lane at the moment. Or do you know what I mean? We've got a lot of people on furlough. We've got a lot of people, unfortunately, being made redundant. People would love to give their time to the club, but it just seems, I, I know there's COVID restrictions and stuff, but we just seem to have that little 10, 15, 20 people that are in and around the club. And then that is it. That is it. Yeah, it, over the past few years, it has felt less like a, a fans club as much in terms of decision making. Now, whether that's because we're moving up, getting more professional, whether that's Joe Palmer coming in, sort of thinking we need to do things a bit differently, which, yeah, I don't really have that much of a problem with. But it has felt a little bit less disconnected even than it has done in previous years. I don't know what you boys think about that, but... 
I think my frustration, like you said, Ling, with this fan click is there definitely is a group of fans who it comes across to the average fan are a bit more elite, you know, for they get to go to the games and they get to make decisions and it's kind of their way or the highway. You know, we saw many articles written towards the Duns Trust board, towards Ian from Wimbledon Way and, you know, the Whistler Bunch, um, you know, sounding him out for for having a difference of opinion at the um, Duns Trust board meeting, you know, for daring to say, you know, maybe it's time we look at outside investment. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was article after article, website built. And, you know, this, this group of fans, um, you know, get to go to every game and get to get... Basically, it feels like they're, they're involved in every decision. Whilst if a fan like myself, who's also a season ticket holder for many years, basically gets gets asked to cough up money as and when and when needed, you know. And I think that's that's what's quite frustrating for the average fan of Wimbledon. It doesn't no longer feel like we're fan owned uh, as such. That's a perfectly valid point. But as one of those people who signed that thing that you just mentioned. <laughs> I can give you a little bit of comment on that. And that was literally that someone just sent me a WhatsApp one day and said, we want to make comments about, in this case, Ian McNay. Are you interested? And that was just somebody I happen to know. Now, I've been a Wimbledon fan for 40 years, so I know a few Wimbledon fans, you know. Uh, but, like, take it right back to when we started Yellow and Blue. You know, the, the seven people that started Yellow and Blue, um, two of them were brothers, um, Niall and his, and his brother. Um, one or two of them were other friends. Um, I didn't know any of them apart from Jonesy and I only knew Jonesy and partially, so to speak. And, and those friendships have carried on. So some of it is just the usual kind of who you know. Just the same, to be honest, as the group of lads that would go to Rotherham on the way on a Tuesday night are the same group of lads. I don't know them. You know, we're all women playing together. You're quite right. There is too small a group that seems to have influence in that particular regard. I mean, the, the advert that was done with either and Steve and Steve's son, it was cringeworthy. I mean, the advert was poor in the, in the first place, but the fact was it just looked like a job for boys. It's like, no, I'm sorry, but you set yourself up. What, unfortunately, that is another example of, because we talked about comms before, is that there isn't really anyone properly central in comms in the club, or if there is, then it's not very obvious. If there was things like the Joe Piggott signing thing that today wouldn't have come out, uh, they probably can't afford to have the right kind of person. I'm not in marketing, but I'm sure there are enough people that are in marketing, or that we know they're in marketing, that would, there are obviously people in marketing in, in Claudia and, and I think she's got an assistant, but there are not enough other people that necessarily think think things through, step away from it for a few minutes and think, is this the right thing to do? What impression is it creating? Um, and as a result of that, justifiably, people make a comment like what she does, which is which is bang on. You know, um, some people get wound up by it, other people are, are, are less are less concerned by it. But yeah. actually, we need to be well aware of our public image, both internally and externally. And we, there's no reason for him, uh, for example, for him employing Mark Robinson just because that would be a good PR move. But it would be a good PR move, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, no, I get it, because there's two factors. There's the fans who just want to be fans. They want to buy season tickets. They want to get the merchandise, and that's it. They don't care about any decisions or they'll, they'll leave that up to a board, they'll leave it up to a chairman. And I think because there's that feeling of a little click is that people are now thinking, well, what's the point? I might as well get someone to come in and put 80 million into the club. That's just a figure I've just 
plucked out there. That's not <laughs> anything that would be lovely. But there's also the side, like, as I said, we're, we're in, we interviewed Freddie Flaxman the other day. That comes out on Sunday as our monthly special. And he really wants to get involved. And he, he's tried to contact. But he, do, he does admit that COVID is a bit of an issue where he can't get over and do face-to-face meetings. But one, there's one person, that, like Dave Charles, I'm, I'm going to uh, just stick his name out now. It's not nothing personal against him. But he's down as our club secretary. He's also down as our club, uh, fans liaison officer. So he's doing two jobs in one night. And I thought a fans liaison officer should be a fan who then deals with the fans and goes back to the club. Uh, it's a bit of a conflict of interest of Dave doing that job as well as, do you know what I mean, club secretary, because he has to be in with the club and the fans liaison officer. I'll go to the Titch and Titch will say something to me and I'll take it back to the club. I, I'd agree 100%. I think the reality is the size of company, the, the company that the club is, the turnover and so on, if you were in any kind of business commercially, you would need a company size of, I don't know, 20, 25, 30 or more people working there in different roles, different levels, seniority and management and a structure and whatever. And we've got about, if we've got 10, I'd be surprised. Mm. And it's not just like Charles, you know, it's other people like stadium manager and so on. You know, they've got no one on the commercial side. They advertise for some on the commercial side. I know because I apply for it. Um, and then they t- withdrew, withdrew the application because they had to because of COVID. You know, there's no point in having someone in that role being paid without being able to generate any revenue. Sorry, just quick boys. Another one like Robin uh, Beckford, uh, Rocket. He does an absolute wonderful job. And yeah. Robo mentioned it the other day. But he only got that job because he won a raffle at the club. It's the uh, what's it called uh, day they do where you have to the silent auction. And it was mm. between me and him for who was going to win that. So I could have been the. Uh, <laughs> thank god he won it the kit man yeah well, that's what i say thank god <laughs> Robin won it. we've got we've got a decent kit man now otherwise you've got me telling like paul k you do your own fucking socks mate but you know what i mean lucky enough you know, robin won it, matched but, home kit. and robin does really well and it's it's sometimes luck of the draw that he got that but i just think we're so worried about giving up a little bit of power that we won't then go to the wider interests of wimbledon and say right mark lewis titch you can do a job or we need volunteers. We used to do volunteers all the time. It's just solely because they can't give anything back. They can't sell programs. They can't sell golden goals. We don't need them as much. And this is why people now then think, well, let's just get someone with money in. I can just worry about sporting women. Yeah. And that's a good point you make. So thinking back to that, the, the meeting at, uh, in the club bar, not too long ago, it was a year ago regarding outside investment. And the whole topic around the bond was one that was so unorganised and so unstructured. I remember it was like a raise of hands who would do this. And then fans were sort of shouting back at them. I was watching online. It just seemed an absolute mess. And that's how they came up with the idea of the bond. And it's like you said earlier, Lee, about trusting outside or Wimbledon people to get involved and the skill set they can bring. And those that group of fans have taken that idea forward and raised an unbelievable amount of money for the club. And that, that didn't go the way that the... The club board wanted it to go that night, and look at how what it's done for us now. It's helped us get back to Plough Lane. So it's like you say, just loosening that grip they've got and allowing outside help in within the club. I can't remember what's the name of the chairman of the Don Stras again. It's the guy. The, I can't remember his name. Mark. 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 Yeah. Davis. Yeah. Mark Davis. He's the one. He said that was it. We had this final choice, and that was it. And then yeah. no one had heard anything else. It was like this is the final choice. We're gonna have. We've got these three, four, five bidders on the line. And then I think it was Charlie Talbot or someone at the back, it might have been Pricey, who just said, well, no, there is another choice. We can do this. Yeah. And then a couple of, we have got some smart Wimbledon fans, you know what I mean? Me being one of them. 
but <laughs> we've got some very smart Wimbledon fans and they put their heads together and come up with an, an unreal idea. But again, it shouldn't have come down to that at that end. It should have already been put in place and this is the options. Yeah. And, and to be fair to uh, some of those lads, because I was standing quite close to them at the actual meeting, you know, some of them have now put their head above the parapet and sent them to our sport. And Charlie's mm -hmm. been elected uh, and obviously Zav's been elected and Zav's my co-chair. And you're all quite right that things happened then and it's only 12 months or so ago uh, pre-pandemic and during pandemic, I know, but it was pre-pandemic, thank goodness, otherwise it would never, would never have happened. But actually, and I've mentioned it a couple of times already, but there are lots of little strategy groups happening. And then at the moment, I know about, and yes, they should be much more widely publicised. So hopefully today and through this kind of thing, we're, we're able to do that a little bit more. That's literally anyone who has any interest in any development of the football club in whatever sense and, and style and, and, and avenue, you know, whatever their particular professional capacity or, or interest is, you know, just get involved. Uh, and even if they want to just, I mean, I'm not coordinating anything, but I can certainly put them in touch with people who are, because I've got enough people's phone numbers and, and you know, um, obviously Lee's got my contact details or whatever, so we can, you know, get people in touch with the right people in the right way, because you've all got a voice. Your voice all should be, should be heard, listened to and considered. And, um, yeah, more power to everyone. I think you made a good point there, Lee, about the um, kind of clicky groups. I mean, for example, the, the social media and the comms team. I mean, it's quite obvious and clear that, you know, Slav, uh, Rob Fennell, and Mikey don't want to give up any power with regards to comms. I do think there's better interviews and better, you know, better people for the job. However, they don't want to let anyone in. And I think that is a big problem with the club at the moment is, you know, you know, we're meant to be found owned and we don't, you know, like you said, we don't go to people or we don't see if there's any marketing volunteers, for example, out there who can help or chip in with ideas. It's very much, you know, one, you know, it's basically their way or the highway and it, it is frustrating. No, I totally agree. If you look at when we played Doncaster at the first game at Plough Lane, uh, that wasn't our comms team that set that up. That was other people again. I think Charlie Talbot might have been involved. I, I'm not 100% sure who was involved in that. I know uh, Chris Phillips was the man on the mic because he's got loads of uh, history in that. He was like Kears. He was, he's on radio all the time. And that was spot on. It was really well done. Uh, but yeah, the I, I, I understand what you're saying with regards to the, the... Again, it just seems like it's a power shift. And people are so scared of giving up that power for the better of the club. And this is, again, why people then turn around and say, let's just get someone with a load of money in so I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't care what the interviews are saying because I know we're going to be watching a million-pound striker. Yeah, and obviously this has been a fairly off-the-pitch off, off the pitch, uh, talking or discussion, sorry, but with regards to the situation at the moment, I do think we're in a bit of a crossroads and it's been heightened even more by the fact that we have moved back to Plough Lane. Like The next appointment is massive and would really sway me. If we do seriously see a Danny Cowley, I know there's been an article today saying they might not be interested, but I'm, not, I'm going to wait until I see official confirmation. If there is a Danny Cowley who wants to come and manage Wimbledon, then being a fan-owned club with a limited budget would affect that completely. And we might let a Danny Cowley slip through the reins because of that appointment. A Mark Robinson would probably suit a more fan-owned structure. So with regards to our current situation, we are at a bit of a crossroads now with which appointment is the next point. I think being back at Plough Lane now, the next appointment's a massive appointment for the club. I agree with you, Rich. I think that's spot on. Um, I think we're going to miss out on the Cowleys personally due to budget because we're going to be fighting relegation for the foreseeable future. And, you know, if they come in, they're going to be managing with one hand tied behind their back. Um, 
So, and you know, I know Alan Pardew's ruled himself out, not that I was that interested, but he also said that it's because the club's fan owned as well. Um, so I do, I do think we're a bit of a crossroads, and it does frustrate me that we have got people like Freddie Flaxman who do does want to get involved in the club, but. It feels like, like, like Lee said, we're so scared of, you know, introducing anyone, you know, Daryl McAntony, and I understand in 2006 we had recently got our, our fingers burnt with the uh, move for franchise. But I do think, you yeah, know, likely. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, um, I do think things have changed since then, you know, that loophole of being able to move the club and the three, three man panel has, has changed. You know, it's, it, I think it's very unlikely it will ever happen again or we'll ever see it again. And, I think that's another reason why, you know, there are fans out there who do want outside investment. And I think looking at Facebook, from what I can gather, there's a lot of younger fans who do just want investment now. You know, they want, they feel, they feel a bit fed up. They, they, you know, they look up at these premiership players and, you know, we're, we're two leagues off the premiership now. And I think, you know, there's a lot of younger fans who want that. However, I think because of the way the Don's Trust is structured, you know, you have to spend £25 to be a Don's Trust member, go to meetings, vote. I don't think it's something which the younger fans participate or engage in. You know, under 25, so we want to go down the pub or play on the PlayStation or don't want to get involved with the political side of the club. I think it's quite confusing. And, you know, when you look at the, the Duns Trust Hustlings, it's normally the names which people know of that get voted on. So, for example, Freddie Flaxman, in my opinion, stood no chance regardless because, you know, with regards to whatever he offers or other people who have previously tried to stand for the Duns Trust boards, because unless you're a well-known name I just don't find you get voted on so I'm not even sure if the process is that great in my opinion I, I hear voices frustration 100% um, who knows what you can do in terms of process when you're in the middle of COVID in terms of how people want to get about get on um, my understanding and again this is just hearsay from talking to you know friend of a friend as they say is that Freddie is one of the people who didn't get on who was actually engaged with the on trust board members who did get on and so he is actually participating in some of these strategy groups i've been talking about and that's because he's tried to get involved obviously you had the, you had the, the call with him so you know more than that would um, that would be but but what i'd say in general terms is um lost my thread go to someone else i'll come back sorry yeah, and again, Freddie Flexman is going to be out on Sunday as our monthly special. We spoke to him uh, and he really wants to get involved. He, he, he loved coming on. And this is why I set this podcast up. I set it up because to give the fans a voice now. So we don't just have the same old fans on all the time. It will be different fans coming on. They can then voice their opinions. We will be getting, hopefully we'll be getting people from the board to come on. We'll be getting any, we're going to be hopefully interviewing, uh, what's his name from your golf travel? Uh, I forgot Hardy. his name. Huh? Hardy. Matt, Matt Harding, that's it. We're going to be getting him on. Also, I spoke to the groundsman today at Plough Lane. We're going to be getting him on, speak to him about the work that he's doing at Plough Lane. And just so people know what's going on at the club as well and people have a voice, they can come on here and, and just, if they need to get it off their chest, if, if it's positive, then brilliant. Because I, I, I was just going to say, Lee, you only set this up because you didn't get a kit man job. <laughs> yeah. We could have had the rocket, the rocket podcast with you, mate. I was just going to make a quick comment relating to to what um, the guys were saying about not getting someone potentially like the Cowleys because they don't view us as necessarily being the right kind of club, the biggest kind of club. Um, obviously, each individual manager is going to view us in a certain way. 
we have been fighting relegation the last four years, and someone might say, well, the reason we fight relegation is we've got no resources, and therefore that's why we are where we are. Um, at the same time, being a fan-owned club with the story, with the great being the greatest story in football and so on, as Robert said the other day, actually is a massive selling point. So some people are going to give a monkeys, but actually to a Freddie Flaxman, to a John Green, for example, then that may well be the big selling point for top. That, that, that on its own is not a reason to why it obviously keep it for the sake of keeping it. But that does mean that that will appeal to certain types of managers and they'll know that there's a certain level of resource that resource obviously can increase when we're in plow lane when future um investment plans are in place and those investment plans obviously have to factor in how much we, money we have to pay back because we have to pay that back are we saying we'd rather not have plow lane of course we're not saying that you know the mood uh, you touched on already but the mood in that meeting when it looked like we couldn't have Plow Lane and we'd have to have a shell, a shell of a skeleton of a, of a ground, was absolutely right in, in the pits because people were saying, no, this is what we've actually fought for. And, you know, I'm a third generation women fan, so this is what I want my kids to be able to do. And they're now teenagers and they, and they can do that and love that. And when we all finally get back in again, they'll be old enough to probably take their mates. And then you've got another generation coming through. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I've, I've made the point really just as in terms of making the point, for me personally, if the Cowleys are not interested in us because of budget alone, then I don't want them. And I'm sort of leaning towards Mark Robinson at the moment. I just sort of hope that within time, we're not going to have Mark Robinson forever. We're not going to have the next manager forever, but I just hope there's a progression with the ground and with more investment that we will start to progress up the league soon, or at least up this league we're in at the moment with the next appointment and with more budget for them, available for them. So next question I was going to ask, boys, is say uh, Robertson come and he uh, went to Joe Palmer tomorrow and said, I want to put £100 million in. How much would we be willing to give away of the club? Would it be a full 100% or would we do what they do in Germany where it's 49.51? Or, or do we do we say we, we, we never give away anything more or we give up to that maximum amount that we can give away? I think the 4951 is enshrined in German law as opposed to football law. There is no football law. So unless there's <laughs> law about that, we can't do much about that. Um, in terms of um, giving up as much as we want, as, as we said before, obviously we can give up to another, I don't know, another 10% or so has already been authorised. They'll still keep Don Strass in control of 75%. Are we naive enough to think that people will put in loads of money and not actually want that much more control? Of course not. But what I think right now is that actually, yeah, obviously it's magic money tree, as, as uh, the famous ex-Prime Minister said, but no one's got their money anyway. Mm. We, haven't got, we haven't got sponsorship of the stadium, not because the stadium's not attractive, but because that deal apparently was like 90% down the road. And then obviously COVID hit, COVID hit week before they were going to have the board meeting to sign it all up, for example. So there's short-term and then medium-term things you actually have to work about anyway right now the Don's Trust have got their strategy well they're, they're trying to work out what the strategy should be and that probably is where we start as, as fans what do we want the actual strategy to be because it was get back to power lane done that tick and it was get back into the football league done that tick and surviving more, more than um, uh, just just surviving thank you very much so where do we go next do we want to be sustainable do we want to you know, have three homegrown players in the league every year? Do we want to set up the biggest academy to blow Fulham out the water or whatever random ideas you are? Once you have that in place, that then will dictate, do you even want to entertain someone like a Nick Robinson or whoever else that's going to put in half a million, let alone five million? 
it's how you define success for me. Um, in, investment comes with, you know, a lot of people thinking, oh, yeah, we just want to get out of the leagues and get to the Premier League. But me personally, that's not what I'm after. Um, I'd like a bit more money, of course. I think we all would. But how do I define success? We're in we're in the Football League. We've got Plough Lane. Becoming a, a sustainable League One club that occasionally flirts with the Championship, yeah, I'd define success as that. And I'd be happy with that, especially with the way the Premier League's going. I've got absolutely no interest at the moment in going to the Premier League. So it's how we as a club define success. We as fans define success. And I think the latter, what I just mentioned, I'm pretty happy with, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree with both your points there. I think they're actually spot on. Uh, I'm the same, really. I, Premier League don't interest me as much as it used to when I was growing up. But then it was cheaper to get into games when I used to go watch Wimbledon. It was £10 to go watch Man U play Wimbledon. And... Yeah, I'm not really bothered about the Premiership anymore. I'd I'd like us to be sustainable. Is it the fact that we do we say well if we dropped to say Conference Conference South, would people be happy with that though? That's the issue there. Mm. Uh, I think we need to be a League One team, possibly League Two, maybe Yo-Yo in them too. But and pushing on to the Championship. But yeah, I'd like to have a good youth team, good youth academy. And again, we're talking about Robbo coming in as first team manager. What a job he's done over the 17 years with that academy. I know some people don't always agree because they don't see, like, they see Osu coming through and don't rate him, but he's still come through our academy and he's a first-team player in League One. So, yeah, I agree with both what you both said there. Spot on. And back to your question, Lee, about would you would you allow a Nick Robinson if you put in a, that amount of money, 100% or 51%? For me, for me personally, if, it, if somebody came along with a you know, crazy amount of money, I'd be happy to accept 100% for me personally. Um, I mean, my fear is, you know, we've seen Southend get relegated out of League One. Now they're at the bottom of the League Two. We've seen a Chesterfield, we've seen a Barnet in non-league. If we start plummeting down the leagues, which is possible we could do, we could get relegation, we're not immune from relegation, then we're not so much of an attractive proposition to outside investment in the Conference or Conference South, for example, if we were there, plummet that, plummet that level. And again, what I said earlier is, you know, um, Mark alluded to, you know, he got made redundant earlier, I think there's a lot of Don's fans struggling at the moment financially, um, you know, during the pandemic. Is At the end of the day, we've still got £10 million to pay, pay back. And that's a large sum of money which has to come back from the fans. And I feel like, or I fear, we're kicking the can along the road here a little bit. Um, I feel that we'll be back at this crossroads and we'll just talk about outside investments. How do we raise money? How do we do this? How do we do that? Is going to come full cycle at another Don's Trust me in, in the future. Um, and that's it. I fear, I fear losing a Freddie Flexman or a Nick Robertson when, you know, if they get a bit frustrated and get a bit bored, that, you know, they want to get involved, but they can't. So, you know, do they take their interest elsewhere? So, sensible points from Boise. Um, two quick um, counter things on that one. Um, first of all, if there was a thing on the table for 100% investment, a proportion of the fan base would walk away. I mean, I don't, I mean, it sounds like a bold statement, but it, it is what it is. And then you get loads of infighting and so on and so forth. And, and I'm old enough to remember, you know, the merger stuff with Palace and the, you know, the obviously the MK No Way, let us know that, we know exactly what happened. But actually, when you have the infighting, if you were to have infighting within such a small, tight-knit support group, then that obviously is the road to ruin overall. Um, doesn't mean that it won't necessarily happen, but obviously there'd be have to be loads of meetings. There's loads of things in place, so I'm not sure that that's necessarily would be a big or clever um, option to do. The other thing with regards to finance, obviously we've got to pay the money back, but we've got to pay the money back from the football club. So 
it doesn't automatically have to be from the fans. COVID, fingers crossed, is not going to last forever. So therefore, we have the opportunity to galvanise everything, galvanise the, the um, supporters and the um, enlarge the whole potential growth and interest and engagement from the community in the whole football club. And then what does that mean? Does that mean that you have bar mitzvahs? Does that mean that you have um, university exams in that big functioning suite or whatever? Does that mean that you have gigs there and, and get Marcus Mumford down or whoever else we've got in terms of women's fans, for example? And then that starts becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then you've got a competition for goals, Wimbledon, which is in the middle of nowhere if anyone's ever been there, you know? And in that respect, actually having the five-a-side pitch that they're talking about at the ground would be ideal. And then you get people that have been at the five-a-side pitch going to watch the Champions League games in the bar and there's nothing to do with the football club at all all of a sudden there's a nice little learner and these things take some time to build up and you need to employ someone even on a low relatively low wage but again tapping into the fan base i suspect you'd probably find someone and you're in a good position now every employer is in a great position right now that they can afford to get really talented individuals into whatever their field is and probably pay them 60 78 of what they should be paid and still get the same um talent on board and if the football club can do that as well then with a relatively small investment to employ that type of professional staff they're going to re start to reap re the rewards which enables us not to automatically have to kick the can down the road the voice has said but actually to say okay we've got this financial plan in place because they've already said the don't trust board minutes are really boring but if you read through them it says we know that we have to pay this much money back after year one and this much money back after year five and so on and they've got some ideas as to how that should be without having to automatically go back to having another meeting, which, again, as Boise said, is not a great idea and no one wants to do that if they don't have to. Well, brilliant stuff. Well, I think that's where we're going to have to end it on that discussion for now. I think we will have this discussion again uh, down the line. Uh, if people want to tweet us what they think and what, what they would prefer, then at One Was Dream on, on Twitter. Uh, this goes out on Thursday. Uh, so please just let us know what you think uh, and what, what you think, what we, what we said today. So right when we come back, we'll be discussing Rochdale on Saturday. Right, welcome back. And we're going to be discussing Rochdale on Saturday, Mark Robinson's second league game. Uh, we've just signed uh, a striker. So how do we think that's going to go? Do we think we're going to set up with the same formation, the same personnel? What do we think out of that game? Uh, yeah, it could. the game could easily turn out the way the Wigan game did. I think if you look at Rochdale's form, they've had some of the weirdest results I've, I've seen in terms of a, a sequence of them. They've had four fours, two twos, three threes. So they're obviously free scoring, but they're also they're there to be attacked. So we've got to be careful. Um, we've got to manage the game a little bit better. I can see us scoring a couple of goals, but we have to we have to cut out the individual defensive mistakes. We've been making far too many, and it'd be nice to get a couple of goals in front and just see a game out. So they're definitely going to be there to be attacked. We know that they've they've conceded more goals than anyone in the in the uh, in the league. But they've also scored quite a lot themselves. Um, so we've got to be wary of that. I agree with you, Rich, that, you know, even at the last 10, 11 games, they've been involved with over 50 goals just in their last 10 games. They've had some crazy scores, like, you know, four twos, four walls. Um, funny enough, last time we played them, we actually only beat them 1-0 with an Eastland Cheslet scoring in the 92nd minute. So, you know, last time we played them, it wasn't a high-scoring game. However, I do feel like this will be different because 
you know, last time we played them, you know, obviously we would have set up five three two, sitting a bit more defensively. Whilst if you know, we definitely seem to be playing a bit more front foot football with Mark Robinson, and you know, he's got another week on the training grounds now. Um, confidence must be a bit higher after that victory in the weekend. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure from the fan base saying, "Oh, Mark Robinson has to win to get the job." I mean, from these from these two games we're going to watch now, I would have been happy with four points um, out of two personally. So I wouldn't be disappointed if if we did draw it. Um, I do feel like that there's, you know, I do feel both teams are going to score. Um, it's just how well we can manage the game and you know how we can see it out. We did look very ropey from set pieces on the weekend. Uh, Sam Walker doesn't give us confidence, even though he's six foot six um, at the moment. But I also do feel that you know I did see did see him getting a lot of stick on social media, and I just think that you know sometimes our fan base just needs to cut it out and get behind the lad. Um, you know, it's not doing anyone any favours, you know, effing and blinding and so on social media. Um, you know, I'm sure he's not making these mistakes on purpose. And, you know, he, he hasn't played a lot of football this season, is my understanding. So maybe he just needs to find his form, get his confidence up. And, you know, he's playing in front of a back four, back five, which has chopped and changed all season. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, personally. Doesn't it make a change to actually be looking forward to a game? Especially <laughs> a home game. I mean, it doesn't feel like a home game, but, you know, like I said before, I wasn't looking forward to the Oxford game and it turned out the way we all suspected. But, you know, I gave myself a headache because I was jumping, the Wigan game, I was jumping between TV and phone and updates and Twitter and everything else and it just did my head in completely. But with Rochdale, yeah, I think everyone thinks that they'll score, everyone thinks they will score, which is a good start. If we were able to keep maybe the same 11 or certainly very close to the same 11 with the same formation, the same pressing game, the same engagement like that, that's a great start. Um, it's been well touched upon for anyone who's looked on social media exactly what the issues were with, with the goals. But actually, if you're saying, fine, we're going to play a back four, fine, play the same back four then. Mm. Luke O'Neill is a right back. He's not a right wing back or a right sided centre back. We know that. So if you've got two centre backs, play the two strongest centre backs you think you're going to have. You know, you brought Johnson in. Johnson seemed to be able to pass. He's obviously got a good pedigree from being a Premier League club. Leave him in there. Leave Will in there. Don't throw Hennigan straight in again if Hennigan hasn't had any kind of chance to have more than two training sessions on a artificial pitch at Carshawn because everything's too snowy you know and then let Dobson and Riley form things together leave Riley as captain get the same kind of harassing going from the front these new guys coming up front would be ideal if they're match fit which I'm not sure they are if not then you know leave it as is and then make some proper active changes on 60 65 70 minutes and get you know someone like um, also running on the, the last 20 minutes, which should actually create things. Uh, my thing with this game is that uh, Robbo's going to have a full week. So he's got the boys for a full week now. He's got no midweek games. So he can now implement everything that he wants, the characters that he keeps talking about, the the pressing game. Uh, I think you're totally right with guys to O'Neill. He's he's never been a win-back or a centre-back. He's always been a right-back for me. I just think now we've Robbo has a week. It's a big week for Robbo because... He, he might be in the job still by Rochdale. There might be a new manager coming in before then. We don't know. But for me, with him having a full week with the boys, he can get everything going. Uh, Titch, what you said earlier, I think Rochdale are there for the taking, really. They 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 drew with Rochdale. They drew with Wigan Freel. They drew with Cholton Forall. <clears throat> they drew with Crew Freel. And they lost 4-3 to Oxford in January. So they can concede goals like we can. But at the moment, I think we look a better team if we play like we did against Wigan. I'd like to see the same formation, 4-2-3-1, and just go for them at home. We need to win at home. We, we, we haven't won many games at Plough Lane, and we need to turn that round. 
Yeah, and like Boise said, I, I, I think we've, we've been sort of looking at Rochdale from the general base of the fans that we have to win that game. But no, Wigan was the game we had to win. If you can't beat Rochdale, which look, it's going to happen sometimes, they're going to be working on their defence so much because they've conceded so many. If we can't beat them, just don't concede. And that's got to be the basis of Robinson's training this week because how good psychologically will a clean sheet feel to this team? Look, we all know we can score goals, maybe lacked it in the last 10 games, but we scored three on Saturday. If we can get a clean sheet, that's when you know we might have turned a corner and you might be looking at Robinson thinking, right, this guy's got a bit about him now because a clean sheet would be massive to us now. I can't remember our last one. And even if it came, we probably won the game or, or drew the game, sorry, nil-nil. So we, we haven't won a game of a clean sheet in a while and it's, it'd be so important for us to get that. It's interesting because against Wigan, I felt like uh, Chisholm was mad at a match for me personally, but I also think DJ was the second or third best player. <clears throat> you know, he reminded me of a, a prime Deji Oshalaja. You know, he's not the tallest centre-back, but he's very athletic, got a good jump, seemed to win every header. And I, uh, I saw Will Nightingale got an EFL team of the week, um, which was quite surprising considering we conceded two goals. So I didn't think you could <laughs> and then get in team of the week. Um, but I agree with Mark Spent. I would like us to, to play the same side, you know, in one against Wigan, give them, give the lads a, you know, another run out if everyone's fit. Don't, don't make chops and changes for the sake of it. The only time I'm surprised, which isn't starting under Mark Robinson, is Jacko, because he does like to play possession based football. And I felt, you know, Jacko would come back into starting nine up. And I'm not too sure what's happened to him the last few weeks, in my opinion. It's interesting what you say about Nightingale. Um, I thought. Yeah, we conceded two goals, but it was the best game I've seen in a long time. And Angel is a back four defender in a two centre back. He's not a back five uh, left or centre of a back of a back three almost. He needs to be that solid basis, heading balls away. Um, I thought his assist was brilliant for Piggott's goal, a really underrated pass. And also one thing that stood out for me was the fact he wasn't captain. He, talk, he spoke about Piggott not being captain to take some pressure off him and let him focus on scoring goals. Nightingale's come under a lot of criticism this um, in the past couple of months and he wasn't captain this week and he looked a bit more relaxed, didn't he? He just he just relaxed, played his game, headed the ball away, got down, played the, played the football and I thought he was brilliant. I thought it was his best game alongside Darnell Johnson. And that's the relaxed world we want. Maybe, maybe mm. we're all becoming a father. Actually, let's face it, um, I can tell you all, and so, so can um, Lee as well, you know, once you become a father, that kind of chills you out as opposed to just waiting, 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 waiting. Um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the back four, that is the best thing the world can do overall, um, which actually, I, the quick thing I was going to add was when Will was made captain, I, um, I was told a little bit of sort of inside gossip. I generally can't remember who told me it, but Apparently, the, 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 the uh, comment was when Wally came in, Wally asked around the club, who shall I make captain? And what he was told was, you should make Wordsworth captain because he's the, you know, the most durable person to knit everything together. But if you make Nightingale captain, the fans will love you. So mm. there you go. And with the best one in the world, yes, he's a big figurehead, the big poster boy and everything else. And we used to have a big poster in, in the shop in, in Centre Court when, when it was open with him there, being a big, big theme of, of it all. But he's certainly like, what, 23, 24? And he's probably never played with all the situations a whole full season. And this hasn't been a whole full season for the obvious reasons that we all know, without being injury prone and so on and so forth. So let's just let him concentrate on what he's good at, being a defender. Let Pigs concentrate on what he's been good at being a forward and 
put someone in like Riley who actually knows what he's doing and can knit everything together and put, call them out when they need to be called out. Yeah, I think there was a masterstroke from Robbo to take the uh, captaincy and give it to Riley. Riley, Riley, I see him as an attacking midfielder more than a defensive midfielder because he pops up with goals as well. But yeah, he 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 runs around, he he puts in tackles, and he, he I, I thought he would always make a good captain. Another thing I liked about Robbo and what he said after the game was it, uh, and he's kind of tried to get what it meant was that it wasn't about the three points, it was about performance. Mm. And that's what I like. It, it, we, win, we win three points. He said, good, the boys can celebrate, but they then have to worry about Monday. But yeah, it is. It's about performance now. We want to see performances as well. We want, like Rochdale, again, we want to, if we win one nil and we are absolutely pony, there can be questions. But if we go out there and we show a performance, we put 100% in and we show that we're working for the management team, working for the fans and we're working as a whole, I think everyone will be happy. It was interesting what um, Mark Robinson said about he, he'd had meetings with the players and there was, I think you mentioned it on other podcast, we have the facilities now, Lee, to talk to players and analyse. And it looks like Mark Robinson's been doing that and can give players a lot of belief. And it might have been something like that for Will. And he might have just put an arm around him and said, look, just relax. There's no captaincy. No one's expecting anything of you. Just play football. And that's the same for a lot of players. You look at Nesta Guinness Walker. He was absolutely brilliant on Saturday. Ethan Chislett, immense. Jack Rodoni looked a lot more relaxed. He didn't feel like he had to shoot every opportunity. He just relaxed, waited for the opportunity, scored a goal. So I just think there's a bit more of a strategy now and a bit more of due diligence, really, during the week around player performance. And like you say, Lee, we do have the facilities to do that now. And, and who were the players who were bursting forward, creating chances, scoring goals in the early part of the season? Northampton and Rochdale away, for example, you know, it was Chislett, it was Nesta. You know, Nesta was playing his great form and then Seddon mm. came in. Seddon was like mm. in straight away and he had a great first game and that was it. And Nesta was bombed out. And that, that's going to do, um, knock anyone's confidence, let alone someone who's like literally in their second season as a pro. Yeah. I remember seeing a BT documentary, I think it was, uh, it was a, a, on managers behind the scenes and it was Darren Ferguson and he said instead of ripping into players and then dropping them, he'd have a chat with them. He'd show them the highlights, show them we can do better. And then he says, that player has to start the next game. And I think we'll see that a bit under Robinson. He'll say, look, that player had a bit of a shocker. He has to start the next game. We're going to talk it through with him. And then we're going to see a progression from that. And I think it's just such a better strategy to have than scream at them, drop them, new players in, and then just keep dropping and changing. That's been our problem in defence this season. I agree with you, your point earlier, Mark, about taking the captaincy from Will and him being injury prone for such long periods of his career. He's still, probably, he's still probably developing his game and learning it. You know, even though he's 23, 24 now, he's missed so much football and so much chunks of it. It's probably, you know, he's not, he's not a finished article by now. Um, if by the time he's finished out, if he'll be a League One or League Two defender, still remains to be seen. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it's exciting under... Mark, well, I'm looking forward to to the game on Saturday for a change. Uh, that'll probably change come half five Saturday, if we met <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I think, you know, uh, going back to Nesta Guinness, uh, I'd rather us to just develop our own players than bring in loans like Seddon. As good as Seddon is, I've said it on a previous podcast, I'd rather play Nesta and develop him and potentially sell him on in the future for, for a profit because I think that's good. If we, you know, going full cycle back to our previous point, if we're going to remain fan-owned, I think that's one of the key things, isn't it? We're going to have to get these young young players in, young talent from non-league, develop them and then sell them in for a profit, a bit like the Peter Bar model. 
Yeah, I think going back to your point, Titch, regarding the uh, facilities that we have, if you look at some of the best managers in the world, you look at Pep, you look at Jose, you look at Bielsa at Leeds, they all do stuff off the pitch as well. It's not just football on the pitch. They, they These are professional footballers. They they don't just go in now at nine o'clock in the morning and finish at midday and then go play golf. They, they can go from nine o'clock in the morning till lunchtime, go and get a proper meal inside them and then go to the stadium and watch videos. They can then all one-to-one. We've got the facilities there now. So Robbo could be pulling people in one-to-one and saying, Chisley, you're the best player on this pitch. You're the best player in the league. So, I mean, that's what managers do. They make, You see Foden the other day, Pep Guardiola. He, he played down Foden after he scored that winning goal against uh, uh, Liverpool because he knows, he's probably saying to him, you're the best player in this in this world at the moment, but you play it down. And I think that's what whatever manager comes in, if it's Robbo, if it's the Cowley brothers, if it's... Uh, you'll read someone like that, we're going to see a different, we're going to see maybe them working double sessions or we're going to see them down at the ground doing analysis, which is needed. What it feels like to me, though, is that they've got the players back on board. I don't know where where they were, so to speak, but they really weren't obviously producing it and the heads were down, as we saw after the franchise game. But um, one of the interviews we was on again in a few years, we said in the last week, one of the things he said was he did a 25-minute interview a 25-minute um, player review, match review with the players, and then he's then he was going to stop, and then some of the players said, "No, can we carry on? Because we're really enjoying this, we're really engaging it, you know, which is a really positive thing to do. And if they're really on board like that, then that's a positive step forward, which hopefully will bring bear fruit for the rest of the season." Right. So let's get some predictions. So I'll go first. I'm going to predict Wimbledon to win four-two, uh, and pig hat trick. And that new striker, the one I can't remember his name now. Williams, mate. Williams. That's it, Williams. <laughs> I was just about to say Harrison again, but Byron, Byron Williams. Right, go on. Chris, <laughs> you go. What's your prediction? You know what? My head says draw, but my heart says we're going to win three-one. Tichy, uh, postponed frozen pitch <laughs> <laughs> no I'll go for um, I'll go I'll stick my neck on the line 1-0 win Ethan Chislett again no postponement because they put covers on the pitch today so you'll be fine after um, the snowfall yeah, anyway. all positive I'll, I'll keep the positive flowing I'm going 2-1 win for the Dons um, with Longman and Figger great stuff well, with me I'm always positive before the game it's only during and after that I become negative. I think I predicted us to beat Franchise and Doncaster. So, right, we're going to wrap that up now. That's uh, episode 11 done. Thanks very much for joining us, Mark and Rich. And Titch, sorry. That's Good time. Cheers, boys. Loved and, it. Uh, yeah, we'll see you again. Thanks. Okay, Thank you for listening to the Wombles Had a Dream podcast. If you would like to contact us, you can do so by Twitter, at Wombles Dream or via Facebook at The Wombles Had A Dream. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.